Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm very excited today. I'm sitting here with Dr. Drew Pinsky and Dr. Bruce. Hi, shop. Hi, sober. Hi, sober. How do you sober, how do you get sober. this studio audience assembled every day? It's incredible. I know. Yeah. Well, they've been lined up for hours and hours. I saw in that. What's finally cold in California? <laughs> yes. Weird. Um. Yeah. And you know, there's always a few drunkards that we have to throw out, even though it's morning. But um, I just uh, I just like having a live studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> I like the energy and vitality. See, doesn't that just perk you right up? Wow. Yes. Um, very excited to have both of you here. Thank you for being here. Now you guys are, you both. Well, Br- Drew, you do a thousand podcasts, but a thousand, a thousand. But you have a new one together, Bruce which I, is yeah. weekly infusion. Yes, people like it. I listened to the episode with Dr. Oren Tepper. Yes, the, very fascinating. Three D, three D printing guy. Yeah, who just separated conjoined twins. Yep, yep. Um. So tell the listeners about this new podcast. Bruce? The podcast is in. It is like a a marble, a huge piece of marble. When when it starts, we're we're now structuring it, restructuring it. But it's Drew and I talking about, I think, current medical issues with, right now, it's guest format. See, Bruce is Michelangelo. That's the illusion. <laughs> no, Bru- Bruce is Michelangelo bringing that, that, that slab of marble to life. No, listen, doing this with Dr. Drew, it's like, uh, let's say, Drew is the Macbeth of <laughs> literature and I'm the Cliff Notes. It's like... <laughs> No, we we uh, we have a couple of producers. My wife helps out, and then Michelle Poe d- does our newsletter and comes up with the topics and guests. And she just lines up great people. And we mm-hmm. talk to the guy from the Body Farm, you know, the guy that plants dead people in the ground and then studies their decomposition. I didn't and even then, know about this oh, guy. This guy's amazing, f- unbelievable. I had seen this on Discovery Channel years ago, and this, he's eighty-five now. But he was asked to determine the age of rustled cattle that had died, and this is like forty years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was like. Oh, no one knows how to do that. And so he <laughs> so thought, started well, planting cattle. Then he started planting people. <laughs> yeah. And how, what kind of maggots and what stage the maggots are in and what kind of petrification and all this, you know, what state the bones are in. He can date, you know, how long somebody's been dead and what kind of don't situation. Don't you watch crime? The, the listeners. Crime you don't watch murder porn? <laughs> Alice, what's the matter? What kind of chick are you? <laughs> I mean, a little bit, but uh, I want the listeners to know that you guys are lighting up when talking about different kinds of maggots and decomposition. Oh, well, just medical stuff we like. And so, <laughs> and so it's sort of medical things that Bruce and I like and share, but from a new and different kind of entertaining angle. Who else? Do we have? Nicole. Nicole. Nicole and, and Jemmy. Oh, my God. Okay, so yeah. I saw, I think it was, I think one of you or Susan tweeted something, and then I clicked Susan, around. And First Lady of yes, Love, check that out. That's right. Um, so I checked Nicole's Instagram oh, feed. Did you vomit? I wanted to. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't stay on there very long. So it's like, oh, here's a a, um, a ne- necrotic leg, and then here's just some disgusting organ, and you have to tune in to find out what it is. What, what's wrong with it? Not yes. just what it is. What's wrong? Right. What's wrong what what it. it is and what's wrong with yeah. it? And she's a what is she? It's she's a pathology pathetic. assistant, yeah. okay. which is a master's level position that I didn't know much about. But she's just a wealth of knowledge yeah. about when you know a dead body, you know all the organs and the reasons medically that someone could die or what causes injuries you know a lot of medicine and she's a character 
That's just, to, yeah. I went back and I got a chance to, I had relatives and went to Philly and she took us to the Mutter Museum, oh, which if yeah. you want to talk about bizarre medical specimens and she just, that's her element. She thrives in that. Yeah. But she's, a, she's just bright and a great personality. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have, does anything gross you out? Yes, not. I mean, no, no, no. It would, sputum for me. Sputum. sputum. Yes. It's the worst. Sputum. Sputum yeah. being like someone hawking a loogie. But when, oh. when yeah. people with bad lung disease with heavy sputum, it's like nothing you've ever seen. It's like you're pulling it out in gigantic globs. Oh, gigantic. my God. That's like a nightmare I have. Yeah. Where well, I, I actually have a nightmare where it. I'm pulling stuff yeah, out of my throat. That's nice. So that, that turns your stomach yes, through. Yes. Sputum. And it, gangrenous flesh. The smell of gangrenous flesh is pretty bad. Dude, this yeah, is an awesome conversation. <laughs> Even Nicole didn't drag us through this. <laughs> well, it, I just wonder because I think the average non-doctor person, their gross-out meter is... Uh, Way lower. Yes. Yeah. And I think that you must have to work past that in medical school, right? You must you know, it's, it's, desensitized. I, I, Bruce, I don't know if you have this. I have this very strange thing where things in the field... In other words, if I came upon an accident and it's out on the road... Absolutely. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it grosses me out in a way that if if you just roll that into a gurney, clean it up, and let me just look at things in a controlled environment, I have a totally different emotional reaction to it. It's very weird. And and by the way, out on the field, I feel incompetent. Like, I don't quite even know where to start. I'm glad when the paramedics get there. Yeah, me too. And in the the emergency room or wherever, we know exactly what to do. You know, it's weird. It's a weird thing. And the other thing that gets me is is when the families come in and the emotional component comes in. Like a, a child dying and then the family uh, comes in and oh uh, can't yeah and and the longer you do emergency medicine the more that you you're gonna see you identify with more people in your life elderly parents mm-hmm. you have babies so mm-hmm. so that that's real tough drew i know your story a bit more than i know yours bruce what you're in a it's very boring that's why <laughs> <laughs> well great regale me i started out doing internal medicine and took boards and drew and i both have internal medicine background then i went into emergency medicine because i had bad adhd and nobody noticed it in the er so, <laughs> so we got this i was out at loma linda started the uh, opportunity to be on faculty starting an emergency medicine residency and around 1985-86 and at the same time noticed tons of methamphetamine abuse mm-hmm. when we did drug tests on trauma patients looked in the literature there was nothing it was all oh those are cross tops uh, i don't know what you're talking about because i'd go to conferences trauma conferences. cross tops uh, they were the 60s pills that were amphetamine pills so typically oh. when somebody mentioned amphetamines this is methamphetamine so anyway i went to a conference on uh, i thought it was toxicology and it was substance abuse at ucla and i Started doing uh, addiction medicine back then. So mm-hmm. I still do addiction medicine in ER, though. I choose shifts. And he did adolescent medicine, too. He's leaving one out. Yeah, well, we both did. You uh, were on yeah, faculty. But you, but, you, but you got the board. I never got the board in that. Yeah, which... So anyway, so I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what happened with adolescent, adolescent we, medicine? We sort of did it for a while, then we didn't. Right. I started, when I started doing addiction medicine, the first thing I did was adolescent addiction medicine. And so there was a subspecialty of internal medicine that was available. So I took the exam. And And, and, uh, Bruce is the only person, well, maybe one other guy, but Bruce is the only one that I felt had the training to fill in for me at Loveline. So I felt very comfortable. He's done it for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. since 89. Yeah, so. and so he, I could always leave that show in his hands, and I knew somebody uh, who knew what he was talking about, You know, had the necessary training to deal with that show. The, the problem was he didn't have the training to deal with Mr. Corolla. That takes some special training. I have pinata training? training. I'm like a pinata, so I like to be abused. So that was the, so Drew was like, why do you want to come back there and do this? I remember <laughs> once, I asked Drew about doing it with Adam, and he said, I can say to tell the story, right? I think. I don't remember. described it as two hours of someone's fingernail scratching on a chalkboard. (laughs) (laughs) 
What? Come on. I only do five hours a week with him now on the Adam and Dr. Drew podcast. I have no idea In some what you're talking about. Because it's completely over my head and I'm not relating at all. Um, oh. Hmm. <laughs> well, do you find that to be the case, Bruce? Oh, I get it. I get it. I get well, they call him Dr. Spaz over there. I'm Dr. Yeah. Spaz. Yeah. And there's a song about me that's not that ends with, he'll stick a finger up your ass. So. I've heard this song. Yes. I like it. <laughs> yes, I know. Because I know you as Dr. Spaz or just Dr. Bruce, it was news to me that your last name is pronounced the way it is. Because he has a last name. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Heisbacher. Uh, Yes. But well, I, I did better with Hershizer. I, I really appreciated that <laughs> comparison. But now that he's out of the limelight. But yeah, no, high sober, high shover. It means so, hay farm. Uh-huh. Hay barn. And, yeah. So speaks elegant. volumes. Elegant, yes. <laughs> yeah. But Drew is a trailblazer of, we'll compliment each other here. But Please. I'm in awe of Drew's ability to do medicine in, in the spotlight. I, if I were doing what he's doing, I would have lost my license 30 years ago. So it's, <laughs> no, it's very difficult. I mean, it is tough. And the interesting thing, an example of what happened at Loveline that just fascinated me as an adolescent medicine physician was uh, somebody called in and, and uh, they were asking about sp- it was like, uh, dude, I'm smoking. Uh, my bong's aluminum. I was wondering if I could get brain d- damage from that. <laughs> and and Drew didn't say anything. And Adam said uh, something about. He just said perfect timing. You know, implying that it's not the aluminum you got to worry about, buddy. It's hot. <laughs> and then I had a colleague approach me who had heard the show and said that show is horrible. They were making fun of this poor kid that was obviously in- intoxicated. And I said. I, I told him, I, which I have no filter. I said, you're a moron. And I said, what you're missing. <laughs> and I, I quoted, there was a study that showed the only thing that can combat ad, alcohol and tobacco advertising is humor. And it's like every kid out there listening to that got, boom, got the message loud and clear. Right. Whereas the doctors, which is typical, well, this was, you know, and and this age of increased sense, this was a long time ago, but even now it's like... The political us, in, us in a yeah us in a white coat speaking formally about the nature's dangers now who does that reach right no one wants to listen to it and especially not the kids we want to be talking to well, why is the medical community so fusty <sighs> fusty <laughs> well because nice you, i think you look at the english tradition pomona college bruce pomona college oh my god i majored in the word fusty <laughs> oh He's well, from now I'm totally intimidated. I'm totally intimidated. <laughs> it was years to... ago. I've forgotten all of it. Uh, you know Bob sm- Forrest? Uh, Lives in Claremont, right? Yes. Yes. How crazy is that? I, I know. It's such a... It's, we it's, used to call it Clairville. But it's becoming oh, it's, like a place. I know. There's a comedy club. There. Yeah. They serve alcohol. But the best place, you know, is the uh, Folk Music Center. Yes. But do you know his girlfriend's parents' restaurant there? Some famous restaurant that, that they have run forever. Which one? This came up yeah. when I did This Life with you guys. Yeah, and Dr. Yeah. Bruce was there. It starts with a D. Like, I've been yeah. there. Yeah, I know the okay. restaurant. Yeah. I'm blanking. I'm sure I've been there. My kids love going to Claremont. they got a great record store. Well, Bob's it's, there all the time now. So. Oh, it's the closest yeah. thing to Ivy League. It's, it's <laughs> oh, no. Pomona. Pomona, I think, got ranked number one this year, didn't they? Oh, did it? Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. always ranked. It is ranked very high, and no one's ever heard of it, and people assume it's a JC, and then... Or it's at Cal Poly. Yeah. Pomona College is... the You go you go east of you go east of Denver, and people that genuflect when you say Pomona College. Oh, yeah. Drucker was there, and all these famous, yeah. Uh, yeah. famous professors. And 
Well, but thank you. I went to Loma Linda School of Medicine, and I did an elective back at NYU. This was a great story. So it was an internal medicine, and they pride themselves at this time years ago. They said, we've never accepted anyone west of the Mississippi in our internal <laughs> medicine residency. So we were going around. I was a Reno Fellowship, and the first guy, where the attendees asking us where you're from, um, Brown. Oh, say hi to Dr. Schwartzman there. And then the next guy's from Cleveland Clinic. Oh, say hi to you know Dr. Jo- uh, Jordan. And then it came to me. I said, Loma Linda. He goes, oh, where in Mexico is that? <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, so the question, to, to put it in other terms, why is the medical community out of touch? Are they out of touch? And if so, why? Well, let, let's think about it this way. Uh, if someone's going to medical school, they start focusing on that when they're about 14, typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, not exactly super socially engaged, generally speaking. Uh, sort of, I, I don't even know what happened in the world from about 1982 to 1990 because I was in my training so deeply that right. I just was not, you know, and you're around only in a military system. It's a militaristic system uh, where you don't step out of line and only, there's a pecking order and only the people in the highest level of authority get to speak on behalf of other people. And those people are not, I remember I had a website for a while and I had a medical director on my website. We sent him out to the NIH and, uh, he met with some of the leaders there and, and they were, we were trying to make it sort of figure out how to get them an online presence and uh, it was when I was on MTV with Loveline, and the guy said, you know, Dree's on, on, on Loveline. He's the show Loveline. They're all like, huh, what? And uh, he goes, it's on MTV, and he noticed. Nothing. <laughs> said, MTV, you, you know? No, they'd never heard of MTV. So they're in their ivory towers. They're in their laboratories. They're in the hospitals. They're focused on things that they think are vitally important, and it's not communication. Right. And it's not uh, entertainment or how to reach people or how to change behavior. Mm-hmm. Psychologists get a little focus on that, but it doesn't trickle over to the physicians. Right. But adolescent medicine is an interesting area, and there are training programs now. Richard McKenzie, whom we both met early on, was instrumental pioneer. in pioneering that. I, just remembering when you and Adam did Loveline from the American Society of, of Adolescent Medicine. I remember that. Their national meeting in Los yeah. Angeles. And oh yeah, was, I do remember this. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And adolescent medicine. I think those docs are in. They're really in touch with what's going on. They're mm-hmm. you know family is the unit of treatment, and they deal with what's you know what yeah. are the current issues with adolescents. They diagnose over Snapchat. <laughs> well, yeah, social media is you know yeah, but I don't see many of those people around anymore. Again, I see more psychology and social worker picking that up. Yeah, not so many physicians. But it seems like you guys both. Um, if I'm reading the t- energy of the table correctly, kind of pulled away from doing adolescent medicine. Is that right? Yeah. I Definitely myself. There, there was less funding for programs. And in substance abuse in the 90s, it, I think a lot of the funding just dropped away. And mm. uh, programs that were funded. All the psychiatric facilities dried up. You couldn't even treat them in a facility. And there was only locked facilities. It got kind of gruesome. It, it, it wasn't sort of... Healthy kids. It was really problematic kids. Right. The, were, were some of the complications, I mean, did it have to do with malpractice and no, litigious stuff? No. No, I don't remember that. Because I think it's harder to create a, a, a billable diagnosis for a lot of what goes on with teenagers. And prevention right. doesn't get the funding that it should. And emergency, there's something called public health emergency medicine, which I was real excited about. But it's something that phys- physicians, I think, are overwhelmed with treating 
sick people. Right. We're too busy with sick people to worry about nutrition. I, right. I was telling somebody was talking about I don't know the doctors, nutrition and stuff. I said, look, when I had needed my prostate out, I didn't want my goddamn physician worrying about my diet. I wanted him to be a, not have a, any complications with that fucking procedure. And he'd done twelve hundred, had a zero percent complication rate. I just want him doing that procedure all day. I do not want him thinking about anything else. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. And you don't get paid for a lot of the internal medicine. The argument is doctors that don't have procedures that they normally do that they could bill for, which gets a lot more money. Mm-hmm. You don't get paid for the time you spend with the patient. Right. And, uh, or the complexity of decision making. I spent an oh. hour on the phone with a patient yesterday. Super complicated. Med psych, you know, all kinds of complicated things. And I was able to distill it down and make three recommendations. It took me an hour. Now that mm, I can't charge one penny for that. Right. Not one cent. And they're frustrated patients. I, I just got an email, one of your listeners or our listeners with common immune deficiency disorder, something that's very complex. And and I, the way I understand it, somebody that just starts out having a lot of weird infections, sinus, throat, and uh, it is hard to diagnose. And they they don't have HIV. They're mistaken for having HIV. I, I don't know if you responded or I should respond, but it's, yeah, it's very frustrating. Let's do an episode on that. Yeah, we should. It's a good one. I didn't even know of this disease. I didn't until I read that. It's sort of poorly care. I, I would say... I'm not sure it's well accepted. Well, Do unless people you, just assume we should that it's get an HIV? allergist, immunologist on and talk about it. Yeah, I think 25 percent of the time, I think you can you can measure immunoglobulin levels and they're identified. 25 percent of the time, right? The other time, it's now you're into the area, right? If it's not measurable. Um, so, Bruce, you said that if you did what Dr. Drew did, which is treat people in the public eye, you would have lost your license. Well, yeah, correct. Uh, um, sooner than he actually did. Lose <laughs> Soon, sooner right, than it, it actually happens. How dare process. you? <laughs> so, Drew, uh, what are the challenges of being a doctor in the public eye? You have to walk the razor's edge all the time. Explain. Uh, meaning that I have to accept the fact that uh, I'm not entertaining and that in order to capture eyes and ears, I must piggyback in with people that do know how to do that mm-hmm. and be trusting of them and willing to let them do their job and find ways to insert myself uh, to deliver things that I think are important without disrupting what they're doing. So, and that's hard you, with, and not seeming irresponsible or seeming inappropriate or, or diminishing the message or somehow have the, having the message adulterated in some way. Can we right. bring up the Hillary Clinton thing? Sure. So, talk about that now. Yeah, so I was watching what was going on. We Drew, did a whole episode on this. We did a whole so, episode, yeah. but you got... I talked to you on the phone the day yeah. that whole thing blew up, yeah. and I don't want to say too much, but... It's saying something about someone's health, commenting, and you you can't say something about an individual if it's your patient and say who they are. But in the case, the media is has a uh, just a mic. They put you under the microscope, look at everything you say, and it's twisted and distorted and distorted. And, yeah, distorted. and distorted. in a climate with a political um, right, well, you know, you could verbalize. Right. So, so what happened was my spastic. I, I did uh, on on one day. I did uh, t- ten minutes with Don Lemons on my on what we thought was going on with Donald Trump's mental health, mm-hmm. and I was talking about hypomania and businessmen and stuff like that, and nobody noticed it. No big deal. Next day, my radio station got me and they said, "Hey, that was interesting. Do, do that. Do give me twenty five seconds. I'll put it on my website. Same thing. Did twenty five seconds on Trump, and this on, was on leading Trump. up to the election. Yeah, this is like th- four months ago, maybe. Okay." And uh, and then he goes, you have anything to say about Hillary? I go, yeah, I think her doctors are screwing up. He goes, give me 25 seconds on that. And I analyzed what her doctors were doing, and not was, her health, right. what her doctors were doing. What was and that based on? 
the the record the doctor okay. sent out her doctor sent On out a her record website. saying here's what we're doing and I was like oh my god you got some this is not good right and they they're giving her an old fashioned form of thyroid for an in for not even a diagnosis of hypothyroidism that causes clotting disorders she has a clotting disorder mm-hmm. and they're treating it with means that are questionable and so I was just taking issue with that now since then. They, they've answered all my questions almost like they were interrogatories and got cons, consultants and changed her treatment a little bit. So good for them. Um, but the Drudge Report picked up on that. It became this thing that this doctor says, Dr. Hillary's sick and going to die. In Huffington Post. Huffington Post. It, was an, it was back and it forth. It became an ad hominem attack yeah, on yeah, Cruz. Yeah. How dare I? How unethical so, to speak about. Right. It was her record. I was just driving. And I wasn't talking about her. I was talking about her doctors. Right. Was, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever been through. And then, then we planned to stop my HLN show, so we stopped it about a month later. We we determined that two months before. Mm. Now it looked like I'd had my job firing because of what I'd said, and so then I then I became a hero. Oh, he has the. They're silencing him. None of it's true, right? But once the narrative gets going, you cannot change it. Yeah, people don't want to hear it. Did you try to change it at all? Well, I was asked to sort of shut up by CNN. Okay. I was asked to sort of stay out of it. Was, was like, your right. instinct, though, to, to I would go stay, to... get ahead of it, yeah. yeah. Especially when they started taking on CNN. I, I said, look, guys, I'll get up there and say this isn't true because right. it's not true. Oh, right, because people were wagging, you just said this, people were wagging their fingers saying, look at CNN shutting him up because he said something anti-Hillary. Yeah, right? they're That's firing him. He lost yeah. his job because of it. And I was like, no, no, I had nothing to do with it. And well, they said, yeah, shut up. So, okay. But now you're still doing a lot of stuff for CNN, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That must have been very frustrating, that whole thing. The, the helplessness associated with social media is extremely painful. Because as, as one of the problems of being physicians in the media, in social media, you can't respond. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you cannot defend yourself because you could hurt somebody and you, can't, you can do no harm as a right. physician. So I, I just heard recently, though, that when they call you a quack, you can go sue people. So I'm thinking that, that particularly that word apparently has a liability attached to it. Really? So I could be a multi-multi-millionaire <laughs> soon because I, people do that shit all the time on social media. It is interesting the way you are hemmed in because Adam can say whatever, whatever he, wants. he wants to someone yeah. on Twitter. Absolutely. You know, a comedian can, can tell someone to fuck off. I can't do anything. Right. Because of your Hippocratic Oath? or Yeah. Bec- yeah. I, I had my license. I can't hurt somebody online. I can't. I, I can't. Respond, you know, if I respond, I'm gonna have to keep responding and go to the right. mat with it. I, I can't get into that, right? And, and by the way, they may be mentally ill or something that may be why they're saying these horrible things. I, you know, I, I can't do that. So, how do you blow off steam? Work out, run. Who, me? Well, now I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm wondering, <laughs> do you feel hemmed in in the same way? No, no, I just, I listen. I mean, it's, it's really an honor to work with Drew and do this podcast that we're doing weekly infusion and. Um, it's a fascinating window for me. I think very few people have the luxury of seeing what goes on in media with medicine and uh, the reality. You, you watch Dr. Oz or you listen to Dr. Drew, but it is, I think, it, one of the most difficult things a physician can do. And the critique, the criticism from all quarters, and with social media being the way it is, you immediately, immediately have their blogs and websites that that look analyze everything you say. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why it's so difficult. And it's difficult... What I like about Drew, it's, it's like if you ask me to explain borderline personality disorder, I will become spastic. It's very difficult. <laughs> no, he becomes very... Dr. Spaz. <laughs> he goes from Bruce to Spaz. Right, right. I know. I know it when I see it, but sometimes explaining something. And in medicine, a lot of it is, I think there's still an art. And, and if I have, I'm working with a patient, uh, you have a gestalt for a diagnosis. But if you ask me 
in 15 or 30 seconds to explain that. And if you have somebody like Adam Carolla, just with that S-eating grin on his face waiting <laughs> for you to, you know, and then you, so it's, it's very difficult to do and, and to succinctly describe something that's very complex in few words with a cadre of critics out there. It's very difficult. Well, it's but, interesting. It sounds like what you're saying is under the pressure, like when you're on mic and there's pressure on you, it inhibits your ability to articulate for something. For me, yeah. However, I imagine that the ER is a very high pressure situation, right? But you take it, but by taking action, it it sort of bypasses that that cognitive pathway that you take in explaining something you do you act and that's and that relieves a lot of the tension that's there by you know it's like i had a professor that would tell us in internal medicine just do something and why i found the er is you have to do something and that mm-hmm. really sort of relieves sometimes in internal medicine it's like you do, you know there are jokes i don't know how it goes pathologists do everything but a day late surgeons do everything too soon internists do everything and nothing happens for <laughs> a, a year and it doesn't make a difference anyway um, so I have a question that I, I don't want it to sound like vaguely accusatory, but it might anyway. Um, for me or Drew? For both of you. Oh. So my dad's a doctor, retired. But I remember growing up, he really lamented, um, quote unquote, medicine as entertainment. Like he would never watch an episode of Grey's Anatomy. And he hates that. He hates that it's become entertainment. I didn't know this. Now, why, why would he hate that? He's a psychiatrist, right? No, he's a GP. GP, okay. Yeah. Um why did I think he was a psychiatrist? I don't. My grandfather was a psychiatrist. Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, Why um, would he not like that? I would think he, 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 does he lament all the legal shows that are, you know, we have attorneys everywhere. Right. Their, their ethics, their standards are stamped all over our culture. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't physicians and, and No, medicine? but I, I think if, when I watched Marcus Welby, I think that was his era. I think it just creates an unrealistic picture of what a doctor does and what you should expect out of your doctor. And there's always some, you know, it's like a story. It's brought to a conclusion and it's always. Right. Is that, was it that part? I, you know, I should, I, I wish I, I wish I knew exactly what it was. I think it's the idea that it might be a sort of like as doctors, this is science. We're saving lives. It's important. He thought it diminished it somehow. I think so. And it shouldn't be something that's consumed as entertainment because that could muddy the waters. Right. He, he came from an era where they were, you know, deliberating from on high. Yes. That is over. And it's not yeah. because the entertainment thing. No. Uh, that, that, that it's, it's being undermined on every front. The right. entertainment thing at least makes it more approachable. Right. Right. So oh, your think, defense of so so you feel like I feel like it's how you dis, that's the only way you can distribute information medically these days is right. by making it entertaining. I mm-hmm. think there are a couple of things. I think like that book House of God when probably we were in medical yeah, school or yeah. college or training it medical was very school. irreverent and some of those descriptions of what day to day life was in training were very irreverent and probably a negative light in some in some words. For me, what I think the Vietnam War created emergency medicine and addiction medicine in a way. Um, and I think a lot of things changed in terms of opening things up, what you talked about, how you approach the patient. Because uh, really, with addiction medicine, I mean, the, uh, people coming back that use heroin every day, some had a problem, some didn't. It, it, people realized this is, there's a disorder, medical disorder here. How did you guys meet? That's a good question. Candy, I don't remember. Mike Finnegan and Candy Finnegan. Really? Yeah. So I knew, 
I was do I was asked to do talks on substance abuse with a character actor, John Dennis Johnston, mm-hmm. uh, in the Inland Empire here. And he's sober, and his sponsor was Mike Finnegan in AA. And this is the late eighties, mid to late eighties. And uh, so I met his sponsor, and Mike Finnegan is he's he's a Hammond organ player, and his wife now does A and E Intervention, who was a guest on our show, Candace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I met him in the late eighties, and they had talked to uh, uh, Jed the Fish, and you guys. I guess they were doing this clean and crazy thing every two months, and it gave you a, a Sunday night off every two months. Oh yeah. And so, clean and crazy was an attempt to do to use the Love Line, which was on every Sunday night, to just talk about recovery. And so they, they said, hey, Jed's looking for a doc. They met him. They're talking at an AA meeting. So I get this call. And I wasn't hugely into K-Rock at the time. And it's this guy, hi, this is, I, it was on my recording machine, hi, this is Jed Fish. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's, and then I was hanging out there and you came in for some reason and we just started talking. Wow. Well, that's a long time ago. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's a long time ago. Um. Wait, oh, I by the way, I want to yes. talk about the entertainment thing real quick, okay. which is that that I wonder if we could convince him by showing some of the data that's out there on things like Teen Mom, like where you show very clearly that the 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 magnitude of viewership in a community is inversely proportional to teen pregnancy rate. That is, right. the more people watch it, the less teen pregnancy. Right. It has a scientific impact when you deliver message through an entertainment vehicle. Mm-hmm. Well, how a behavioral impact? How do you, Drew, feel about a show like Grey's Anatomy? Have you seen it? They make me insane. Okay. Well, so uh, that's kind of the same as my dad. But mm, why does it make you insane? Because it's so inaccurate and so pathetic. And, and so particularly the behavior of the doctors is so so intolerable. I mean, you you listen, two, two things. One, one episode I watch, the first thing that happens is the intern responsible for, the, for resuscitation vomits. I'm like, <laughs> you're fired. You're fired. Get the, get the F out of here. I don't want you under me yeah. if I were the senior resident. You're fired. Number one. Number two. Then one of the this physicians gets in bed with a patient. I'm okay. You're fired, and you're going to jail. <laughs> you're going to prison for for that behavior. Not only are you fired, you're going to prison, and none of that is addressed. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm out. This show's right. terrible. I right. get anxiety. I ask myself, what should I do, or what would I do in this mm-hmm. situation? And it's like I don't want to be in a situation where I'm back at work. And so it's so there's that aspect, and I yeah. think it is now. What Drew? What about the reality shows like uh, Sex Brought Me to the ER? <laughs> I think some of that stuff is interesting. Well, that's only that's a recreation sort of show, right? I, yeah, I don't know. I but I, I think I just, reality shows can have a real impact. I think I think people want real. They want it real. That's how they want to consume it. They want to see what's going on. As long as it's explicated, you know. As long as there's a there's a way to understand what's going on, not just a, oh my god, but use it educationally. I'm right. on board. Right. All right. I need to take a moment to talk about. Beachbody on demand. Drew mentioned mm-hmm. that what he does to blow off steam instead of going off on people on Twitter, mm-hmm. he works out. Are you guys familiar with Beachbody on no, demand? Beachbody is the company that does like P90X and Insanity oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. wow. tons of workout programs. In the past, you had to buy. We need them on our podcast. Come <laughs> That's on, now. right? Come on, Beachbody. In the past, you had to buy all the discs, um, but now it's streaming on your device. You can watch it on your tablet yeah, or disc. On your what is that? What's yeah. a disc? That's in, in the old. The I old got days. a disc with it. I bought a printer last night it came with a disc and i was like there's just what do you do with it they're still selling discs that's yesterday's technology beach body on demand is in the now and in the future it's amazing you can work out from the comfort of your own home or especially if you're a traveler it's great because you can keep up with your workout mm-hmm. wherever you are mm-hmm. and you can get a free 30-day trial and some of the programs like 21 day fix extreme let's say you have a big event coming up and you're like i need to get into shape you know for something that's coming up 
very, very soon. 21 Day Fix Extreme. You can do the whole program on your 30-day free trial. I don't think they would want me to tell you that, but I'm just saying, you guys. You can do it. Um, T25, three-week yoga retreat. And they also have a brand new first-of-its-kind cooking show for healthy weight loss and portion control called Fixate. Um, They also have a special program for maternity or for pregnant ladies, which I thought... I thought because I had worked out with a trainer in the past, um, oh, this will be super easy. I was winded like before I started pretty much. They have a different one for each trimester. Um, so Beachbody On Demand gives you the ability to stream hundreds of workouts from programs all proven to deliver amazing results created by world-class super trainers. This is a brand new service, but it already has a million members, almost a million members. And my listeners can get a free 30-day membership Uh These would be Allison Rosen is your new best friend listeners. Just text Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 303030 and get a full 30 days of access to this entire platform for free. So again, text Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, to 303030 or 303030 and get a full 30 days of access to this entire platform for free. Okay. So this brings up and we're separate from the commercial now, but biohacking. I had a patient come in and say, what do you know about biohacking? <laughs> just, it's, just a, it's just a word of the day. Doesn't what mean does sh- that mean? Nothing. Well, no, but it it's means a adjust, fad. It, it's a f- it, it means changing your metabolism or optimizing your metabolism. I think people are making a lot of money on it. Yeah. So yeah, it's people that say, I'm going to live to 200 it, years it's, old. It's, and the, it's the next thing since toxins. <laughs> well, so. I remember reading articles saying severely restricting your calories and being underweight is like the one thing you can do to live longer that data has been around for 40 years i'd say is it true it was on rodents by the way Uh, i don't know that it's been reproduced in mammals i suppose it has uh and yeah and no one can do it you have to be 800 calories a day or less for years and yes, it probably okay. probably extends your life, but I I, I couldn't say there, that. There are also it's studies, never been done in a human, that's for sure. There are hungry rats. Well, I think there are people studies that show that people that are slightly obese, not slightly obese. There's there's the, there's the fat. Uh, what do they call it? The fat uh, super super. There's obese. a name for it. There's the fat paradigm or fat uh, problem, which is that people that are overweight live longer. Right. And right. it's, a, it's a dirty little secret that, that no one wants to talk about. Yes, they have more hypertension. Yes, they have more diabetes. But if they don't have those complications up there properly treated, they tend to live longer. Right. What? Yes. I know. That's, people don't talk about that. Now, I, th- I think probably the reality is that within uh, – and we're not talking about morbidly obese. Mm-hmm. We're talking about you know the, in the BMI spectrum obese, right? Right. By BMI standards. Oh, sure. Like how many extra pounds would you say? Ten to it's 30. hard to say, hard because that data is not out there. But they look, but some people that we would they say look, look forty, fifty pounds right, overweight, right. easy, easy in the stuff that's been, I've seen. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm going to bet there's there's subcategories within the population, right. some that live longer at that weight, and some that don't live longer at that rate. And somebody would say it's an evolutionary. It's, it's, people got people that were in what evolution, no, Bruce? You can talk about evolution. Uh, Have you evolved yourself since we've last spoken? Wow! This? wow. Wait, oh, yeah, you, that was an you, attack. That was an attack. Uh, Just I need to find out about attack. this attack after after you say. What well, you were he doesn't say. remember any of these things. But I was talking with him. <laughs> Who's the guy from uh, Bad Religion? The professor guy, uh, yeah, Greg. Greg yeah. and Adam and he and Greg and they were talking about something, and I mentioned. Um, in, intelligent design or something like that and yes. within within one second it was just like three sets of piercing eyes <laughs> focused on me and then the guy the other guy greg whatever yeah. his name is he goes science and religion are incompatible and then the conversation just went on as if nothing had happened and i was like f you 
Drew and Professor and, and Adam, of course. <laughs> well, all right, evolved. Maybe they evolved. At least you gave me that. So no, I'm Christian. I'm maybe not the mechanism a, has evolved. A, Finish your thought, though. Which thought? About the obesity. <laughs> about the obesity. <laughs> so I think people were... There is natural selection for certain things. And I think in times of uh, famine yeah. or whatever, there may have been a, a, a genetic choosing for just like the dark like so that may maybe in other words people that are obese may even live even longer if they were lean thank you right right because it's just already a genetic uh the fact that they retain the and distribute and retain uh energy so efficiently that's already an evolutionary advantage right but with the internet someone's going to listen to this podcast and and within 48 hours there'll be a get fat and live longer uh yeah plan i know being sold i know somewhere. people attacked me last time i brought this up attacked how <laughs> yeah. dare you talk about that that's of what it's the number one health problem in our country it's like yeah i'm not saying obesity is good. I'm saying there's this weird idiosyncratic thing that's out there. So. Right. Right. Um, do you feel like any part of the people attacking you was fat phobia? Fat phobia. Well, let me rephrase. Do you feel I like... More, yeah, I'm more like anti-fat phobic was what I was getting. Well, but people that are afraid of people that were just overreacting to people that are obese and then he's saying maybe it's okay and so now they're flipping out. Yeah. Right, that's How what I'm. Can you as a doc? Just that's to, what I'm saying. To, Meaning, people who are less. It was less about health mindedness than it was about people being upset with the notion that maybe being fat's okay. That's right. It, yeah. Well, no, the the notion. That, listen, it all ultimately boils down to people don't understand science. They're not being trained. They're not being educated, particularly in biology, and they have to understand biology is infinitely complex. The best we can do is describe probabilities, and we're just looking at an anomalous, interesting phenomenon right. in a biological system. You have to be completely open-minded and understand we are primitive in our understanding of these infinitely complex things. So when people make these these sweeping statements about diet and how things are digested, it's, I, I just I just think that's it's too. I, it's so complicated. We can't describe. We have trouble describing how one molecule gets from your mouth to where it ends up in your body. Mm -hmm. Forget entire, you know, food products. We can't we can't label a molecule and figure out how it gets from A to B. Right. Sounds like the good thing about your exercise program. I'm having a lot of people, uh, especially people in recovery that are looking for something quicker to get back to good health. They want testosterone. They want human growth hormone. I don't know if you're no, or just having people asking, well there's so much sure. testosterone being taken at, and it's a younger and younger age. I can see somebody that's in their 60s or 70s and I was talking to an endocrinologist said, "Well, if they want to increase it 20 or 30%." What? The level testosterone, yeah. right? Yeah. Measure levels carefully. And I just read some stuff about uh, the lack of evidence for it accelerating prostate cancer because that's I one know. of the big concerns. No, I know. And but but if you have prostate cancer, oh. they don't know. And that's why I want testosterone, but I'm afraid to do it. Well, this one said if you do, it doesn't create a more aggressive form. That's true. It but it might. Act, we really don't know. No, See, one, right, of, the, one right. of the features of prostate cancer is we don't know what activates the bone metastases. They mm -hmm. seem to sit around for a long time, and then they activate. Right, interesting. And so the activation process may have something to do with androgens because we, we decrease the production of uh, METs with androgen blockade, right? Right, right. Uh, and so that's where the anxiety comes in, for me particularly. Right. So, But I want to take testosterone. I'm sold. Why do you a, want to take it? Because I'm sold it's a good thing. Oh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely. a hormone replacement guy. I think it's a smart thing. I think it's mm -hmm. a good thing for us as humans. And it, Bruce, are you juicing? Yeah, I'm, ju I'm, ju I'm juicing with with water, yeah. <laughs> with orange juice. No, I'm not Lime. juicing. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Do you know of any trend diets that you support? Like ketogenic, I you know that keeps coming up. Or That's, those any, are good. I mean, it's taking it to an extreme. Yeah. I would assume you're yeah. 
because people ask, you know, especially in working in addiction and in the ER, they don't usually ask. They, <laughs> it's a different story. But in, in recovery, and somebody's recovering from substance abuse, there's a lot of sudden interest in how can I reverse what damage I've done or how can I... Describe what you what you. I, I just think I just say do your spiritual work when they get into that crap. Especially if they're not less than five years sober. It's like stop it. Just focus. I go on back to work. the twelve steps yes, and everything that's happening in a day. No, no, no. no. That that's somebody who's got a week. Say they're looking it, for a new religion in the, in the community. To say there's a problem with the spirit when people behave like that. Right. But, but um, your girlfriend describes some really interesting stuff about how the change in the healthcare system has affected ER functioning. I, that was a really interesting conversation. You want to really I probably wasn't it? listening to what you said. Well, about the demand, the, how demanding people are and how re, they demand to see the administrators and the chief of surgery. Oh, it it's is. It's weird. And they bring gigantic groups of people in and make these demands. And they're, they're, the hospital isn't even reimbursed for the, the care. Oh, right. Yeah. We're in Fontana, so it's, I shouldn't mention that. So the Inland Empire, I don't think it matters where you are in the United States now. And I think it's a product. Some of these TV shows where people have interests in uh, or, or have... They come in thinking they know something, right? Right, and demanding MRIs and demanding CT scans. And then the other side of it for physicians that are practicing now is the uh, patient satisfaction surveys, Mm. which is becoming huge. This is the worst thing ever. You know what this is? I think I've I think I've heard you. This mention is like it before, if if, a, if an opiate addict comes in the ER and goes, I need my fentanyl patches refilled, and you go, You're a drug addict. We got you treated. You're an <laughs> asshole. I'm going to give you a zero on your physician evaluation. That doctor will lose his or her job. That's it's a one to ten scale, so and so they call backwards. it a unibomber. The unibomber gives you all ones, and if you don't yeah. see a, a lot of patients. Yeah, and it, so where who who collects these surveys? In Press, well, Press Ganey isn't that the company that's yeah. there's one company that started out on this, and now it's a huge stock exchange. The, the, the same it's, version of this was the smiley face scale for pain. Oh, I've yeah. seen that yeah. so many times. <laughs> that was that is that was a disaster for us. Why? Because because there was in a time that what caused the opiate epidemic. The drug companies were very happy with it, but they did not cause it. Mm-hmm. What caused it was the attorneys and the pain treatment standards that were instituted through the administrative organizations, Departments of Mental Health, the JCO, this sort of thing, where if you didn't treat pain adequately, you were not just committing malpractice, you were legally, criminally potentially in trouble. That's so interesting. So I had no My idea. My patients were all the very frowny faces. Right. Because they're going through drug withdrawal. They're in pain. Right. That's, that's the syndrome of drug withdrawal. And we would get dinged all the time for that. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So those charts that you see hanging on every hospital wall, that doctors did not come up with those. No. With the faces? Yeah. yeah. Well, now we're using them. You can use them for kids mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I mean, the way it used to be in the 90s, it was like terrible. Make, us make the person happy and say they're pain-free and you know, for the wrong person. For the, it just created a whole community of addiction. Do you think there's a lack of tolerance for pain? Because that's another thing I've heard my dad say is... You might disagree with this, but he'll say pain is not a medical condition. Neither is misery. And so that's that's the thing. I would put it under misery more than pain, mm-hmm. is that ordinary misery is something we all seem to be intolerant of and want to be able to medicate away. I, Much like you, I was raised by a primary care doctor, father, and he was like, don't take medicine. Mm-hmm. Medicines are when you're sick, when you have to take it. My, I never took an antibiotic my entire life. I remember one time I did when I was like about 15, and it was like... This is an event. This is like <laughs> yeah. you're going to take an antibiotic and listen, this is serious business. Right. And uh, I think we just completely lost track of that. And somehow pills and everything, uh, you know, any kind of sort of therapeutic intervention is supposed to take away ordinary misery. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a problem. And I think the reason we're so intolerant is our childhoods are sort of uh, impoverished. 
I have never taken antidepressants, but, and I was very afraid of them for years. That being said, a lot of people I know are on them and they, and they're helped a lot by them. There is something appealing about the idea though of, oh, maybe I don't have to feel these bad feelings. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Listen, I was treated, I had horrible depression, anxiety in college and I was mistreated and I'm pissed. They should have put me on a tricyclic antidepressant. That's all we had back then. Right. Uh, and they didn't. And I'm furious because I was in misery for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Didn't need to do that. Right. But it, it also taught, taught me some grit and how to overcome things and how to how to just make change that helped me overcome stuff that was miserable. Mm-hmm. That was worthwhile. Bruce, what was your character building experience? <laughs> Being me. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, well, I don't know. My character building experience. Uh, I, you know, I had a, I look back and I'm pretty ADHD. I have a very difficult time focusing and I was diagnosed with that. I was put on Adderall. I experienced a, I t- I just interesting whole other story. I sh- I'm not going to tell because I'm going to write a book about it. But um, looking back, I, I just had a very difficult time. Uh, if I could focus on something, I would excel. If I couldn't, if it was boring or uninteresting, I couldn't. And you know, the, the whole story with ADHD mm-hmm. uh, and I, and you know, just talking about over, I think there's a vast amount of over medication with Adderall just running like uh, uh, water in a stream through college campuses. And so, but I, I think certain things like that, I think in psychiatry, doing addiction medicine, you interact with psychiatrists. I'm not a psychiatrist, but you see a, there's typically the pendulum swings too far in one direction yeah. and then it goes too far in the other, right? Yeah. It's just like, Dealing with a kid yesterday has tr- coming off methamphetamine, shooting LSD, IV, crazy oh. stuff. <laughs> Have you had any of those? No. The guy was mixing it with with water. Like he was, was how was that. his brain? Oh, he was. This kid's brain is twenty five, and he knows pharmacology. I'll mention a drug. Yeah, not even an abusable drug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on Dancertron. Uh, oh, well, Zofran. You know that's a. Uh, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so methamphetamine, opiates, was and he a, was hallucinogens. He injured by him? Oh, yeah. well. Yes, he was having. He was having voices. He yeah. was hearing voices. The voices, though, he'd say, "Well, they're not telling me to do anything, but they're highly critical." <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it, so the bottom line is, uh, he he tried sobriety, tried naltrexone. I have him on Suboxone now, which mm. let's. Uh, <laughs> Okay, but go ahead. Is Drew anti-Suboxone? Oh, not anti-Suboxone. I'm anti-excessive enthusiasm about it, Suboxone. I think it should be like everything. I said we tried Naltrexone first. Well, and listen, I, and this for this kid, kid, this may be okay. Oh my god! Yeah, I so get he, it. I, I got it. him. He and he came in. He'd been. He was a dealer, and he he'd been in treatment in psychiatry at age seventeen mm. for mood disorder, etc. Mm. Uh, and anyway, so now he comes in, and he he identi- He chose to go into treatment. Uh, was inpatient. Sounds bipolar. Started on Zyprexa. Is he bipolar? No, the psychiatrist started him on an SSRI yesterday because he's having extreme anxiety and started smoking some pot. Mm-hmm. He's been sober a couple months. Started smoking some pot and, and what? You mean Suboxone didn't cure his addiction? It, he's no what? craving. No craving. He's not craving. Craving is a bot. He, he's going to meetings. Hey, hey, but Bruce. Let me. I got something I got to say here. Craving is a good thing. Craving is a good thing. This idea we have to treat craving is catastrophe. I always told my patients my entire career, you're having cravings, I'm sorry. But guess what? It lets you know your disease is alive and well and you need to do your treatment every day. The people that have it all together, don't, I'm fine, I have no problems, those guys relapse. The craving guys show up in the meetings. Cravings are good. Cravings are good. That's interesting. I'll, we'll we'll die. see, I can't, it's it's like I'm bringing a knife to a gunfight with her. It's just <laughs> I can't do it. So what, with this kid, the interesting thing is, so my approach was, 
to, that he did need, he's been on, he started taking some Xanax and I, I met with the psychiatrist before his appointment yesterday and we talked and we put him on low dose clonopin oh. instead of, well, he was taking Xanax and Suboxone, which yes. are contraindicated together. No, no, they're not contraindicated. <laughs> no, we've been, I've listened. The, Relatively and, contraindicated. Right. But in the old days, what would this, I mean, things were so extreme in terms of over medicating with benzodiazepines. Still are. Well, it's getting, I know you won't do that, but it's still, you're psychiatrist. Oh my God. Might. Yeah. Oh no! I had somebody that went in that was on Suboxone and given sixty-one milligrams, one milligram Suboxones because they were having anxiety. That's the kind of thing. Ugh. But yeah, bipolar patients. So he hasn't gone off the deep end. I don't think he's okay. bipolar. He got right. the SSRI. Right. So. But but anyway, the, there is there tends to be over I think overreaction over um, adherence to a new principle or a new mm-hmm. medication. Mm-hmm. And when things uh, shake out, yeah. Right now, it's. How do you deal with? I have a seventy-two-year-old who's on three hundred milligrams of OxyContin a day, and he's tapered down to one twenty. He does have severe arthritis and pain, and he was referred to me to start Suboxone for the pain. Uh, okay. Buprenorphine. I'm okay with that. Okay, good. Not ha- not super happy with it, <laughs> but I'm okay with it. Well, so but for listeners, Suboxone is sort of the new answer to methadone for people. It's medicated-assisted treatment for mm-hmm. opiate addicts, and the issue is. The people that are like you that are more abstinence-based see Suboxone as just another opiate. It's just another addiction. Well, as methadone was. Right. But but Suboxone, from my standpoint, it's, you, better. it's, it's better non-euphoric. And so it, you don't get high from you it. don't get high from Talk it. To, now, I've talked you, to Bob. I've talked to, I, and I've discussed this with 50 of my Suboxone patients, and they said this, this to Bob, Drew. What? That's yes. a middle finger. Yes, okay, to F off. <laughs> no, so it Drew, is your opiate, argument but, is you're just giving them another drug? Question mark. It's not just giving another drug. It's just their disease is still quite active. And as this last case pointed out, now he's on benzos and he's smoking pot. But that's not a recovery. Right. But that's a very complicated case. And, yeah. and, and I'll grant you. He's going he, to meetings. And he and could die. I would not send that kid to meetings. Though. I would I would just say go to therapy. Go to cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like that. You think that's he's, more effective than meetings? Well, well for this guy, but, for this kid. Well, he's... Well, anyway, it's there but it's all debatable. Are, it's very complicated. So. Yeah, he's doing a lot better than he was. So yeah, I, I, I'm sure. I'm uh, sure. But I, I look at it as um, patients. I start out with abstinence only. I'll do the clonidine yeah. detox. Right. Which, and then but, and, but I, I'm in no way attacking Bruce. I'm attacking the general sort of right. winds that are it, blowing. And, exactly. And, and, and Bruce is, applies it very rashly, very appropriately, more than anybody I know that prescribes this stuff. Mm. So and so. I, I really am. Uh, every patient that I do start on a, on a medication like that, I, I worry about and and. Uh, Alice, how's this podcast going so far? I think it's going great. Okay. <laughs> so what I want to say though is now we fight about whatever the nuances of treatment <laughs> yeah. of a complex uh, well, psychiatric. Yeah, case. that's true. So, but in general, I mean, opiate addiction was one of the top three election issues. I think, uh, and in some states, it is just it's epidemic far worse than HIV ever was or any other infectious disease that actually took lives. Yeah. Well, HIV yeah. is a horrible thing. So, but anyway. The Suboxone epidemic, they're on the other side, supporting what Drew says, it's it's seen as a panacea, and it's it's, it's like pretty, the old. It's, it's, it, it, we're hiring armies, of, we're training armies of people who know nothing about right. addiction to treat drug addicts, and that's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. It's no. not going to go well. No. So you want to see an extremely qualified individual physician that doesn't have a financial incentive? I think that's the problem. Yeah, is they've. Uh... And even Obama got up this spring at a huge national addiction conference and said we need to. There was a limit to thirty patients that you could have in your practice on this medication then it went to 100 then obama said we needed to go to 275 and then they're going to let physicians assistants nurse practitioners so oh just, my god i know people listening to this there's someone that has a loved one that has an opiate problem and i think what drew says is correct 
it's not doesn't cure opiate addiction. Right. It, it makes can, you chronically ill. Right. So huh. what's the matter, Allison? What's the matter? <laughs> no, I was just that was actually just me breathing. For listeners who don't know, I'm very pregnant and um, breathing is breathe, not, not yeah. easy. <laughs> My requires, husband looks over all the time because it sounds like I'm doing a heavy sigh. You're breathing for I'm two. Like, I'm just breathing. You're breathing for I'm just two. Just trying to breathe. Um, so I have a quiz with, with oh, a giant no. thing under your under your diaphragm. Yeah, You're breathing for two. How, I, how unfair um, was God on that one, Bruce? I feel like my stomach thing. is in my throat. Yeah, well, it is. I, sure I don't it is. know where my bladder is, but it's squished <laughs> under something. Well, you're, you're intelligent. Design my butt. <laughs> you're you. What's intelligent about this? You have to use just the way we're so creative and using our minds here mm-hmm. as evidence of a higher power. Oh, so but no you quizzes. Do believe in have evolution? You, have you yes. seen these unified theories of uh, the string, unifying th- string theories and where the strings are know, coming from and stuff? I don't understand oh, that. Good. I'm going to send I'm, you some podcasts. Peter, was it Green? Who's the guy that's written some popular? Okay. Anyway, well, give okay. us a question. Okay, so I have a quiz. Because I got to go paper. pretty quick. Okay, we'll you know do the why quiz, I hate we'll Drew you quizzes go. me on the air and then suddenly. Bruce will stay. Honestly. He doesn't like quiz. It makes him nervous. Yeah, I mean, oh, oh, there we go. Okay, so this is the quiz is Sorry, designed. Protect yeah, <laughs> protect The quiz is designed to figure out who, whether Bruce knows Drew better or Drew knows Bruce better. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so I was going to ask you, like Bruce, what is Drew's favorite surgical procedure, and vice versa. However, as an internal medicine specialist, you don't do a lot of surgeries, right? None. Okay, so I'm but I have change. a I have a favorite procedure. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, all right, and we'll do that. Okay, so you each are writing down what you think the other one's favorite surgical procedure is, and then you're writing down what your favorite okay. is. Okay. <laughs> what mine also? Yeah, because he's gonna guess yours. Right. Drew is gonna guess yours, and all let right. me know when you have your answer. Jeff, I, mm. I forget every time. Do I do the question and then we do the answer? Yes, right? Mm. Or do we do? Okay. Okay. Done. Done. All right. Waiting for Bruce. Okay. And I'm just guessing on okay. Bruce's wild guess. Okay. Drew, what do you think Bruce's is? Porta cable shunt. <laughs> <laughs> Though, are you talking about something I do? Something you like doing or were a part of or did you remember from medical school or whatever? Okay. What what is the actual answer? What's your favorite surgical procedure, Bruce? Uh I I inci- incising and draining an abscess. Oh, I was oh gonna, my God. I was gonna say that. Really? I actually was gonna say I figured you'd do a lot of that. That'd be one of my ear. least favorite yes, ones. Yes, you do that in the ear all the time. Look, because there's pod, there are websites dedicated to that. I'm not a fan yeah. of that. Oh, there's an Instagram account. Yeah. I, no, 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 no. Okay. Please no. Damn, okay. Okay. Okay, that lady. Bruce, okay. what uh do you think Drew's favorite is? I put the same thing, popping an abscess. And what abscess. is the truth? robotic radical prostatectomy? Oh, okay. well, because I was subjected to that, and I thought it was a pretty cool procedure. This is something you don't do. I know that. No, but it was my favorite procedure. Oh, okay. I thought you meant yeah. things we do. Okay, okay. Okay. All right, go The next, next. question is almost the opposite. What is your least... Someone put this into medical ease for me. What, what is your least favorite body system? Body, like a healthy body system? Like, like what are you not, not interested in? Yeah, like, yes. What oh. are you not interested in? Uh, I'll tell you that right now. What I do in the ER when I'm not interested uh, in. Hint, hint. Okay. And yours would be... Oh, his? Yeah, mine and yours. You each have to do... Yeah, same. exactly. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same for you. Okay. Bruce, what do you think Drew's least favorite is? Pelvic. Doing mm. pelvic exams. No, no. What's your least favorite System. system? So a genital urinal system, GU system, yeah, or, or GYN yeah. system? Yeah. Uh, GYN system. I uh, know, GI. Oh. I'm not very interested Vomiting in blood. Just, I'm not, it's Poop. just a tube. It's just a tube that has these, bo- you know, these brush borders that do interesting oh, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, I would sort of leave the pancreas and liver out of it. They're more interesting, but yeah, it's like... Mm. Liver's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. okay. And I and put the same thing for him. You think that he is not he has, interested he has in the vomit and poo on him all the time, and so... I'm still... Th- no, I just put pelvic, because I was thinking of what <laughs> I do, what system thing. I do. I hate doing pelvics in the like ER. I the pelvic stuff. Like Why do you hate it? Well, because, let's see, the last three I did were foreign bo- vag- vaginal foreign bodies. The last one I couldn't find is I called the gynecologist last week he comes down he goes well there's no foreign body you're right but she has a, a, a rip-roaring cervicitis did you notice that and i was like whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no. what were the foreign bodies can you say the vibrators and kind of tampons tampons i and thought you condoms. can't push them too far yeah, condoms, yeah. they go up in the for- they go up in oh, the corner yeah. there's a oh, the, the cul-de-sac the, the fornix is that called the fornix yeah, yeah i had a i had a long metal uh ah! yeah. and yeah. i got the condom but that's that was really because yeah. they shrink up into nothing yeah, and they're they way smashed back there. in there yeah oh so they're beyond where someone can reach i didn't realize oh, yeah. it can really go, go. Oh, and, you know in a 300 pound five foot tall yeah. individual when you're doing a pelvic i had yeah. one where the nurse was standing behind me just i knew she was just because i had two i had two speculum in one sideways and one Mm. Yeah. yeah so anyway. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This one's a little more uh, pedestrian. Bruce, do you know what Drew's middle name is? And yeah. Drew, do you know what Bruce's middle name is? No. Uh-oh. Well, you got to write your answers. Well, down. Drew, D- David, Drew, Drew, David. Okay. Or you could just tell me. Yeah. That's easy <laughs> Which is he it? Said no. Which is it? Uh, it's Drew. David Drew, right? He's right. Okay. So Bruce gets a point. Yes. Oh, I'm really Finally, scored? somebody wins. Yeah. Okay. Well, now. now do you, know. you don't know what no. Bruce's is. Do you want to even take a guess? Watson. Is it Watson? <laughs> Sigurd. It's oh, weird. Sigurd? It's... <laughs> in Norway, where my mother's family, the, in, a, in the That's Viking unfair. culture, it's a it's manly name. Unfair. It's a manly name. In the, in the Viking culture. Sigurd. In the Norwegian. All I'm, right. I'm busy watching Game of Thrones right now. And <laughs> <laughs> one more question. Now, I was going to ask, where did... Where'd you go to medical school? Except you already he told us. It, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to change that to, do you know where each other did your residency? How about college? Well, okay. Yeah. Well, well don't we do, know cause, that Because residency tends to be the same schools that you do. Oh, it does. Medical. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Do you college. know where Drew went to college, Bruce? And Drew, do you know where Bruce went to college? I did. You chose an answer you don't know? No, I- I'm I, winning this one. I can't believe I'm beating Drew. Yeah, <laughs> I did know, but I can't remember now. You told me once. You went to- Amherst. Yes, that is He's correct. Right. He gets another point. And you, you were in, not in California, right? Nope. Yeah, it was in Michigan. It was a small school that I didn't know, it, like. It was, it was a lunatic fringe of Christians. Yeah, it was Saint, yes. it Andrews University. Andrews, yeah, it, and it's a great school. And I'm not anti-Christian by saying lunatic fringe, but okay, all right. So Bruce, you win. Yeah, you know Drew well done. better than Drew well knows you. Yeah. Well, Wonderful. Amherst, I mean, you know, I hear, you hear I went to Well, he Andrews. mentions it all the time. She went to Pomona. She's not impressed by anything. No, I'm but, impressed by but Amherst. But Alice Rose is still our best friend. Yes. Our new best friend. <laughs> Excellent. That's right. You are you are the second brightest person at the table. <laughs> she is the brightest person. I'm going to do this for No, you. I don't I'm think third. so. No. Well, no. So I'm so fascinated. Okay. Let me figure. It's 1125. Should we let you go, Drew? Yeah, I got to go. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so for much. Thank you paying attention to that. I appreciate it. Well, I'll, I'll, see see you, I'll see you this weekend, yeah? We're going to do our- the 11th, I think. Okay. Uh, weekend after that. Good to see you. Good to see really, you, too. Really? I will leave you guys to talk shit about me. <laughs> <laughs> we should wait till he leaves, though, to talk shit about him. Thank yeah. you. Bye. All right. You're waiting for the door to close? You don't I think am. I'm actually going to say anything? <laughs> <that>. No. <laughs> 
Um, okay. So we have listener questions. We have just mirror everyone, but we have what I'm curious about, which is how does the, re- for you, I don't think I knew, I did not know that you were religious. How does that fit with the medicine stuff for you? Right. Well, I don't know that I'm that religious. I really don't, the church activities, not a part of that, but I think believing in, uh, I'm Christian. I believe in Christ. And as far as the practice of medicine, I don't sit and pray with patients in in the emergency department, probably have a bad attitude and I should go to some sort of formalized church, something to, to improve my, uh, my attitude there. But I think in recovery, there's a lot of similarity, the 12 steps and, mm-hmm. and Christianity or other religions in terms of the, you know, the uh, higher power. Right. And also emphasizing with patients that the higher power is just looking at, at control outside of yourself where you're, you were not in control of, of what you were doing and that control has to become the group. But um, it's been a real uh, strong um, support for me and what I do working with patients in recovery, especially in, in recovery and mm-hmm. medicine being Christian, I think for me without ever mentioning if someone is, uh, I have patients that are Muslim, I have patients that are atheist, patients that are Jewish, never mentioning anything about the Christian faith unless someone's interested in talking about that. But it really has been a supportive thing for me. I know I was surprised to find out that Drew himself has never had any addiction issues, given that that's something that he specializes in. Have you ever had your own addiction issues? No, but I'm super codependent. That's what, what Drew says to me. I was, I was complaining about... Well, you know, Drew is too. Well, but he's got better boundaries and he's been through more therapy than I have. Uh-huh. And so what he told me at one point, he goes, well, after a certain age, therapy really is ineffective. I just love the way he says stuff to me. So it's like... <laughs> Well, what are you saying? You know, it's like 15 minutes later, wait a second. What was <laughs> he saying there? So, no, but, you know, I got in the field. I had a significant other ages ago that was alcoholic and I didn't know it and mm-hmm. called me a year after we split up and said, and started, I'm doing the fourth step and I'm making amends and I want to talk to you about, you know, our relationship. So that and I just tending to be, you know, codependency is sort of a, um, a psych trash term. I think it's become something you hear on TV a little too much, but People in medicine, nurses, doctors, caregivers tend to be better at taking care of other people's issues, and it takes away the focus on their own issues. So you, the more you do, the more time you spend, the less healthy you are in, in terms of of nurturing your own relationships, your physical needs, exercising, and that type of person gets in relationships with people that have major issues, one of them being substance abuse. And so I tended to you know, be very good at oh i want to get jumping all in with patients and patient care and not really focusing on on my own thing so that's that's been my addiction it's sort of considered a co-addiction so right i went through training in the mid 80s and i remember the i we had to spend a month in this training the beginning of the training in a, a drug and alcohol program you didn't have to i didn't have to sleep there i had to go every day as if i was a patient and within 48 hours they just they pulled me aside they said you better get this addressed or you're just going to have a huge problem doing addiction medicine. And, Your lack of boundaries. Right, lack of boundaries and just the code, the whole codependency thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, emergency medicine tends to limit that a great deal because you you go and it'll limit, for me, ADHD, it limited it, it, your, your focus, you address the issue, and, you know, that's, that's the end of it. So. Right. Do you take it home with you in your thoughts? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And Would it be t- better if you didn't, or is that part of it? 
Well, you know, I think I'm better than I was, but still, you know, pay, occasionally you have a patient, well, here's my phone number if there's an issue when I'm not on call. Any, anymore, the, the iPhone, this is what's used when I am on call, so it's not, you know, it's not like it used to be giving someone your home phone. Right. But just, just issues like that, and it's like, well, the next person can't do what I can do, so I, I, you know, the next guy on call is not who I want them, not because they're not adequate, but they don't know this. You, you have mm-hmm. to, you know, say this is when you know, this is when I'm here, this is when I'm not here, things like that. Right, yeah. right. So. Let's take, no, I'm going to ask this question, then we're going to take some questions from listeners. The codependency stuff, do you feel like that came from somewhere in your childhood? Interesting. Yeah, I think it came from, um, I grew up in a family that was basically very conservative Christian. And I think, you know, the, the teetotaling, um, you know, it's, it's almost the equivalent of an alcoholic family in a way the family I grew up in, in mm-hmm. terms of it's the opposite, uh, you know, and I think that's what happens with a lot of people in Mormon families and certain uh, very extremely conservative Christian families and other religions that tend towards extreme beliefs. And I think it, cr- it can create the same sort of issues uh, that an alcoholic family can create, is, which is where you get some of these type of uh, personality in, things. In, in what way? Like, in what way do you feel like the religious extremism creates that? Well, I mean, just doing, they've done studies where they have the risk of alcoholism in dependence of uh, individuals that have a teetotaling family where uh, alcohol is is made um, to be the demon, Forbidden. the devil. And, right. Uh, whereas healthy, you know, drinking once in a while because we model certain behaviors. And I think in families, um, where there's an extreme prohibition against something and and very rules oriented, mm-hmm. I think it creates uh, sometimes inadequacy in taking care of yourself and, and addressing right. your own issues. What denomination did you grow up in? Seventh Day Adventist. And, and it, do you still consider yourself that? No, but I'm, I still consider myself Christian. Right. That you know that system. I went to Loma Linda Medical School and Andrews University. I think it's a fantastic educational system. And I don't think what I'm saying is reflective of, of that religion. A lot of people see it as um, a cult, but it's not. It, uh, you know, they're, they're just basically um, led in the field, in the area of vegetarianism and not drinking coffee and uh, alcohol and tobacco. And, you know, when I was growing up back in the 60s, that was seen as really extreme, some mm-hmm. of their food. Now studies have been done, and they, there are longevity studies that show that that lifestyle really it's uh, similar to some of the other lifestyles worldwide that lead to uh, great longevity. So, and do you drink coffee and tea? I drink way and- too much coffee. <laughs> um, I'm not much for alcohol. I mean, I you know I'll go to one. I'll have one of Adam's uh, beers or or I'll have a drink. I don't care about that. But I don't smoke. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was a real healthy environment growing up for me. So my father's Jewish, so and non-practicing. So it was. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So. Th- you know, because Advent is seventh, seventh day, like you don't do anything on from Friday night to Saturday night, sundown, right. a lot of the Old Testament. Uh, and that's an issue with some other Christian religions. The Seventh-day Adventists are too Old Testament-based uh, and have a lot of the, the dietary laws and, uh, you know, the don't do stuff on, on the Sabbath and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. so for your father, that wasn't, Seventh-day Adventist wasn't contradictory to... I thought it was great. You know, he didn't <laughs> care. He'd go to, we'd go to church Saturday morning and he wasn't practicing jew anyway so right. but it was like hey there's you know the schools he's uh i mean certainly there are drug and alcohol problems everywhere and there's all kinds of behavioral issues but it tended to be activities we did there was a lot of activity but there 
was there was a prohibition against so it was definitely no alcohol tobacco were did i have friends that were you know back when in the 70s going to college and medical school they're smoking pot and stuff like that but it just there were so many activities that where there was no access to, to drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. where at that time i thought oh man i'm missing out you know you get all the stories from the frat brothers and it's like oh man i go to this boring college and medical school but it, i think it really for me i would not have done well with uh i could not have done any kind of substance and gone and gone through uh college and medical school. they're those people that you see they're partying and they're smoking pot and you, and you think how do they do that and i think that's I, one yeah, of the issues I, with- I don't understand it because for me if i smoke pot i'm useless i like i would i don't anymore but when i would smoke pot i would smoke pot and then try to read something and like i would read the same paragraph over oh, and over again it was not going anxiety in. i did it once i was like in high school and, and it was it was like i couldn't say what i wanted to say and then in my head i'll never be the same again i'm always oh, going to be in the, the state yeah. and then i i same thing read something and then well read it again and, and it was like this is not fun if this is fun take me you know get me out of here so, so right but today one of the issues now with medical marijuana and now recreational is and you know I know I hear Drew rant about this. It's just the percentage of THC is so high in the stuff, and it is just a super mood altering substance. Mm-hmm. If someone has a predilection genetically to addictions, it really uh, the the increasing the exposure with all these people trying it, you're going to have a much higher level of dependence occur, addiction occur. And I think just looking at um, schizophrenia, I was just reading an article on schizophrenia and how. Cannabis is one of the things that's noted to exacerbate and make more difficult treating schizophrenia. Hmm. And then I think they did a study in England where they felt that if someone had the genetics for it, they're more likely they would develop it. Right. Let's take some questions from listeners. Without Um, Drew here? I know. Well, I'll I'll make them easy. Don't worry. First, (laughs) though, I just want to say, you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because uh, they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. Doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Great place to do all of your holiday shopping. Thank you so much for your Amazon support. Also, my show is on Patreon. Patreon is um, sort of like Kickstarter, but you can support an artist or a podcast on an ongoing basis. There's different reward levels. You can get extra bonus episodes every month, um, exclusive live stream. There's a level where you get um, fan club merchandise in the mail, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I'm really enjoying being on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay. When we ask, they send them in They're wondering how you have been So thanks so much for answering These questions from our fans Okay, Breezy Matt would like to know Do doctors think things will get better or worse Regarding the Affordable Care Act Under the new administration? Better (laughs) Really? Well, I don't You know what? I don't speak for any medical organization but I think one of the concerns was the increasing uh, premiums for mm-hmm. individuals that are paying for their for their health care. And in some states, it was, what, doubling, tripling. So uh, the concern doctors have that I've heard two things, um, pre-existing medical disorders. That's a huge thing. There was a, it, it, The question was, is that going to go away? And uh, I think that there's no way they're going to change. If you have a pre-existing medical do- disorder, uh, my sister has a brain tumor. She's had it. It's been sort of dormant, but you know that's on her record. I mean, they just right. take one look at one diagnosis, you know, glioblastoma, and you're done in the old days. So mm-hmm. 
uh, that and then covering uh, individuals under their parents' coverage t- until the age of 26. Those are two of the things. So I think the issue is, is there is it going to be a mean-spirited uh, cutting off of Obamacare and taking away coverage from people? Right. But there, there, are 50, there were 15,000 pages of Obamacare doctrine that was very difficult to sort out. And I think when it, a lot of this stuff happened, there wasn't enough analysis of how it would change the system. But there have been definitely, and I think it's representative of what I see as a democratic society, is we need to take the best of Obamacare and look at how it's created some of the problems it's created and come out with some sort of compromise. That's what most I hear most doctors say. Like, Do you think Obamacare was an improvement over what we had before? I think it addressed some of the issues of the underinsured population and it, and again, pre-existing disorders covering individuals until they're 26, um, but it it was, you know, it assumed that people that were healthy would be paying towards mm-hmm. the care of individuals that are not. And I know in the state of California, I mean, there's all kinds of, there are people that are included in Medi-Cal, Medicaid, and that a lot of this, I think, is mandated by Obamacare. And there's certain groups, I won't go into any detail, but it's just giving away care mm-hmm. uh, to individuals that probably shouldn't be in that uh, covered California category. So I see, I think it it's one of those things, sometimes there's an overreaction to the way things are. And again, um, I don't like to see medicine as a Democratic or Republican issue, but doing what's best for the patient. I think there are definitely aspects of Obamacare that should be kept, but I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's a sustainable program uh, unless you go to a single payer and eventually the government. And doctors are afraid it's going to become like the VA is now. I mean, you, you got the Veterans Administration, which is a government designed and a uh, system of provision of medical care to uh, veterans whom we supposedly value. And it's been a disaster. Right. And so I think if you have the government manage it, which is, I think what Clinton wanted to do is have a single payer system. I think you have to be really careful with that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, it was almost embarrassing the way things were in medicine, you know, precluding care to people because of financial reasons. Right. I think part of the reason my dad was excited to retire was that he felt like the insurance companies were ruining medicine. And I mean, like he has a check for 16 cents on his wall and he felt like as, you know, kind of showing what happened to it. And I think he felt like all of a sudden doctors weren't the ones making the call anymore. Doctor, a doctor couldn't say, I'm concerned about this patient. I want to admit them to the hospital. All of a sudden, it had it was the insurance company or it was some non-medical, non-doctor who was making the decisions. Do you find that? Well, I guess in the ER, it's a little bit different. But You, you do what you need to do in uh, emergency medicine. I've not been in a system. I've, you know, the system I'm in, I'm not supposed to say, but, uh, you know, um, in certain large medical groups in Southern California, the, the provision of cares, you know, you're not asked for um, the approval to get a certain test. I mean, sometimes for an MRI, but um, there's still that concern that if we go away from Obamacare, we're going to have go back to more of the second guessing by bureaucrats mm-hmm. as to whether someone should get certain care. And I think there was less of that. But on the other hand, the system, it wasn't, it wasn't really working financially. Right. And unless you go to a totally basically socialist system, which is I think where maybe some people want to go. I just don't know if that's, I mean, ideally, sure, there wouldn't be money. Everybody would have transportation, but I just don't see that happening in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but 
on the other hand, I, you know, I do work in a system I think is very, uh, uh, a very good system and that provides care without questioning, you know, a lot of the financial issues, but people come in and like an addiction medicine, Hey, I got, I want, I want to get inpatient care. Well, do you really need inpatient care? Is, do you need inpatient detox? Do you need residential treatment for a month when it's not going to really make any difference? So some people, they'll say, well, that's, you know, it's a, it's a financial incentive you have. No, it's, it's their, their indications for certain procedures and for certain levels of care for addictions or psychiatry or something like that. And I think part of the problem with the media and social media is you can make anyone look bad or anyone mm-hmm. look good at times it, just in the moment and it becomes very difficult practicing when you know the first thing people do when they don't get what they want they get on social media or they right. contact yep. the press it, it's so part of it i think we've refined indications for certain medical issues now they're much more they may appear stringent but they're much more appropriate in terms of you know there's not unlimited resources and sometimes it's more appropriate to to tell someone hey this is this is what you need, and this is what you don't need. But today, people don't want to hear. It. It's sort of like Burger King. It's like they come in and, hey, this is what I want. I mean, I have people come to the ER. It's like, hey, I'm not leaving till I get a CT scan, an MRI, these tests, see this specialist. Well, you know, it's Saturday night, and the dermatologist isn't here tonight. Well, I want to know what this what this thing is on my arm. I want to know before I leave. I mean, that may be unusual, but that's that's the direction. When Drew was talking about my significant other, I mean, just when they're in tri- when someone's in triage, the people that come in, and they'll tell you what the emergency is, and they'll say, "I, you know, I've been waiting an hour, I've been waiting two hours." One of the things with Obamacare, you have a huge influx of people uh, using emergency rooms that right. may be, you know, shouldn't shouldn't be there, and and because it's not an emergency, it's not an emergency, and that. The law is a bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, medical center I'm at, we have an urgent care that's doors down and if somebody comes in with a non-emergency problem and there's a six-hour wait and there's no wait in the urgent care not allowed to tell them you can't because it could be perceived as an emtala violation of a denial of care oh, and wow. i'm sure someone will contact you or say i'm i'm full of s but that's basically you have to there is so much and that where did that come from it came from uh, somebody being diverted with a medical problem in an ambulance from the nearest hospital because they didn't have insurance or they had Medicaid or Medi-Cal mm-hmm. or whatever. Bad, there's a reason for some of these laws being there, but it's there's been an overcorrection, I think. Do you not swear or are you just trying to be respectful of me? Because you can say the S word. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Look at you. A, no, no, no. I still, are you kidding me? My kids would go, <laughs> uh, yeah, he'll swear if somebody cuts in front of him on the road. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> what, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about... How dare you? About, I know. I, I'm sorry. Right in your face. About urgent care or about the emergency room. Um, well, utilization. Oh, no, maybe what I know what I was going to say. On drug commercials, they're oh. always like, ask your doctor about blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, who has that line? Who has that direct access to their doctor like that? The only time in my life I've ever had anything like that was I went through IVF. And with my fertility doctor, I had her email on her cell phone so I could text her a question. But in general, I find that there is this message that we're fed in culture of like, you should be an informed consumer when it, this is probably going to make you angry. Like you should be, I mean, you probably dislike this, but like you should be an informed consumer when it comes to your medical care. And like, you should really be driving the bus. And I just find that like, I've never, I've never been able 
I don't even know how I would have that with my doctor. And I've never even been able to do that. Like I'm, you know, with my OB right now, um, my, I have a doula because it's Los Angeles and you have to. And my doula was like, find out what her C-section rates are, like her percentage of C-sections and find out, you know, like ask, telling me all these questions to ask her. And I don't feel comfortable asking those questions because I feel like I'm auditing her. What's your dad saying? Um, he, I actually didn't ask him okay. about that. Yeah. He doesn't even know I have a doula yet. Well, I, you know, let's say I've had a relationship with Kaiser system in the past. And in that system, you're accountable to your patients. There's email and there's no difficulty getting hold. Mm-hmm. There was no difficulty getting hold of me. And though, I, you know, so when I say anything, I expect what the onslaught of critique is going to be for, say, somebody, somebody like Kaiser. But uh, a system like that, I felt that they were super concerned about patients having immediate access to their doctor and being educated and asking questions and getting answers. Um, and so what did it, how did you feel about that? Was that a good thing or was that? Um, no, I think it's, you know, I, I liked it. What I don't like is I've had patients come in, like I was in the emergency room, I had a guy that had an ophthalmic migraine and he was losing vision intermittently or something. And this was a while, quite a while ago. So I may get the details wrong, but basically the guy, his sister was there on Google reading it and telling me what she wanted. Okay, I want to see, I want a CAT scan today. And, oh, I read this and I want to, I want him to see an ophthalmologist today. And I want to know what the risks of, um, you know, an MRI versus a CT angiogram and this and that. And I'm like, it was just brutal. And so there's that side of it. And and then patients that come in with a, a laundry list of articles they've read on something and you know, then you get quizzed. I think it's 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 sort of like it should be a team, approach. right? And I like an educated patient that says, "Hey, doc, what about you know? I've been reading about this, and what do you think about this?" And hey, many times I'll say, "You know, I don't know." I mean, best thing I can ever say when I don't know is, "You know, I don't know about that. I don't mm-hmm. know about that truth." And um, that's it's it's the nature of a I think a, of a partnership In- versus a control. Like you're my doc, and I've had patients say, "You're the effing doctor." And you're going to do, and I, I've had this, hey, you're going to do what I tell you to do because that's the way the system works now is you're the doctor, but you work for me. Right. That seems Ooh. backwards. Yeah. And it's... Because one person has so much more knowledge and it's not the patient. Yeah. Well, but, you know, access to the to the internet, there's a huge amount of knowledge. And it's like right. Drew, Drew said, you know, how does this one molecule get from here to this gland or organ? There's a, there's a lot of... Uh, things there's a lot we don't know and there are a lot of anecdotal things on the internet i mean the problem with the internet is is opinions and then anecdotal stories Mm -hmm. or studies that are based on a non um significant n number where you don't have enough people in the study where the result makes a difference right in general when patients come in who like full of knowledge do you find that they know are usually right or are usually wrong? Is there? Could you make a general generality about that? I think they usually come in with a lot of right information, but using it to make decisions is totally out of their realm, and they have pre-existing conclusions as to what that information should lead me to do, mm-hmm. and that's what what concerns me. Where then it becomes an argument or. Um, not what's best for you, but well, I read this and I want these things done and that, you know what I'm saying? Where they've decided rather than saying, gee, how would this fit into what's best for my treatment plan? I think I've heard, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I believe I've heard Drew say, you go to a doctor for your, for that doctor's judgment, not for their knowledge. Oh, excellent. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're assuming they, the knowledge is there, and it, it's, but it's the decision-making process and tailoring. There, there can be, uh, and it, again, I, the, and the same professor that he, this one guy was like, just do something. He's a brilliant gastroenterologist. Do, he'd say, do something. And I remember he used to tell me, if, if, uh, if you call a patient a crock, check your own porcelain level. And, <laughs> You know, and things that really bore themselves. They, it's just like going to NAA meeting. You hear these little fr- phrases and sayings, and you go, "What kind of?" And they have a lot of knowledge, mm-hmm. wisdom behind them. But um, what was your original question for? There was a third thing that he used to tell us that that was relevant. Well, to judgment the, versus knowledge, right? Right. Bringing the information. Um, well, I was thinking of another patient I had that came in, and she gave me all these reasons. This was a, as an alcoholic patient and all the reasons why AA doesn't work. And oh. I read this article and only 5% success rate. How can you recommend something like this? Do you provide CBT cognitive behavioral therapy here? I want a complete outline of, of your therapist, what they do, where they were trained. No, I'm already irritated by her. Right, right. And it was a college professor. So, oh. and it, which doesn't mean it, but I mean, it was a highly educated individual, mm-hmm. but it was, it came back to, I felt intimidated and it was like it was not gee this it, that it took up time for her to tell me all the things she wanted where i didn't have an, as much time to evaluate ask her the questions that needed to be asked it was like well i know my diagnosis and this is what i think i need and do you guys provide it so we, right. we put the you know does the patient really want to become the doctor i don't know sometimes they do and you know it's just like cat scans in the er it's um one cat scan and there are a variety of um, statistics, but something like you have a one in 20,000 chance of certain types of brain cancer. You do one CAT scan, it goes down to one in 2000. There's studies like that. So there's a lot of radio. And now we're the, this pendulum swung so far the other way. If I order a CAT scan of a head, uh, what comes up, pops up on the computer is, did, did I tell the patient about their radiation risk mm-hmm. and do they really need this study, which is good, but you know, five patients come in and well, I just feel better if my two-year-old had a CAT scan after they hit their head. And it's like, or I say, wow, do you want, you know, they take that radiation with them the rest of their lives, you know, you're, you know, and it's like, well, you know, my aunt who's a nurse told me don't leave there without a CAT scanner. Okay. Let's do just me or everyone. This is where people write in with things they think or do like idiosyncrasies. Uh And then we weigh in about whether we also do these things. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, Jay Inslee says, When I dream, I can never hear sound. I see people talk, but I hear nothing, even when I have nightmares. Not me. There's all sorts of talking in my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. What about color versus black and white? I have dreams in color too. And I, I remember when I heard someone raise that point a long time ago and I was like, what? Some people don't even dream in color. My dreams are very much like real life, just, but absurdist. My dreams strangely are in four by three aspect ratio and not 16 by nine. (laughs) I don't know what that's about. Yeah. My dreams have a real fast refresh rate. The, so it looks a little jerky sometimes, you know, I'm hoping to catch up with it. How about writing your dreams down? I've always wanted to do that and never done it. To wake I have up, done take, it. Do a journal. and I've done it not in the middle of the night, but in early, like if I have a particularly disturbing dream <laughs> that I feel like there's something there, sometimes first thing I'll sit down at my computer and just type it all out just to try to get to like, what was that about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't regularly do it because it's kind of a pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Bruise by Dawn says, hate walking into a necessary meeting at a customer site only to find out everyone there has been or is sick. Hashtag not cool. Well, you're around sick people all the time. Yeah. I, my parents are like 94 and, and they're both got this cold. Well, mm-hmm. they could die from pneumonia from it. But I tell, I tell them, there's some study that showed if you get a minor viral infection five times a year or something, the, you have much less of a chance of having a severe illness. So. Boy, talking about stuff as a doctor, it's like it's like well, somebody's going to say, "Well, that's a bunch of BS." <laughs> Every time I say something, it's always so. Anyway, um, I've never, I don't like vomiting uh, kids because you know in the ER you get I, I don't like being vomited on. I must say that. So, I, so if I go to a meeting of patients <laughs> and I get vomited on, I'm certainly not excited about that. Is that um, because it's gross, or you don't like it because of what could be in the vomit? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Even being in the room with someone vomiting, a lot of the some of the viruses are so uh what should I say? The, airborne? Oh, they're very much airborne, but you need very few. I think it's like the uh the norovirus, some of these ship viruses like 12 viral particles that can infect you. It's like that those that's just shocking. I mean, it's just such a small amount. And yeah, they are aerosolized and um certainly yeah i don't like stomach flu that kind of virus you're there's no immunity you can get it and get it two days later basically it's a weird thing so does the flu vaccine not protect you from any of that well there's some studies i think that show that people that get the flu vaccine have a slightly lower rate of other uh you know like there are over 100 viruses that can cause cold symptoms but i would tell everybody out there get the flu vaccine i had influenza in 1996 i almost died and there's another guy my age, a doctor. I was in Redlands. This guy was in Riverside, and he got it. We both got bacterial pneumonia like a week and a half later, and he died. Jeez. Yeah, and I was like crack, like listening to myself. I sounded, you know, crackling pneumonia. I was on antibiotics, and it was just so. That's the day with with some viruses. They influenza knocks the immune system down, so you start to recover from it, but your immune system is inhibited, and then you get the bacterial pneumonia, and it kills you. So. Is influenza because I feel like people toss the word flu around? No quite a relationship bit. to it. The flu is a bad cold, basically. Yeah. But influenza is uh, a severe, a severe infection. Which when when I got it, a lot of people get it. The first thing you're feeling fine, and then within a couple hours, you have a very high fever. Your your feels like somebody's got a clamp around your mm-hmm. bones. This extraordinary bone pain, weakness, and then you know frequently get the respiratory stuff, cough. Right. And um, certain strains, certain years, like the 1918 epidemics, young, healthy people died more commonly than other individuals with really strong immune systems because you get this in your lungs and you get this huge immune response to it. And, you know, fluids would be released from the white cells and, and they'd have death within, you know, a couple of days because of their immune system being so strong. So it's a weird virus that does different things, different years. And different characteristics but get the flu vaccine if you're well, now there. i'm scared um okay. well you've gotten the flu vaccine right being pregnant they just did a study i haven't no. gotten it i know i'm supposed to i don't i don't i don't like shots that hurt oh it's not that bad plus in pregnant they, i just read this study no increase in autism there have been concerns about i'm actually i'm very pro vaccine okay. i'm just anti me getting shots <laughs> yeah. but i'm very pro vaccine the the last five or six of them that i got i can genuinely say i did not feel it at all really the and people, not even the next day no no and they say which arm do you want it in and i think oh i sleep on this one his or I use arm it yeah. <laughs> somebody else's arm. put it flu, in your arm yeah. flu vaccine's not bad the, you know you get the one for pertussis and sometimes that the that, next day it's like you got punched in the oh really or hit in the arm by a truck 
But it's oh, still, wait, no, it's not, not pertussis. Bad. There's some booster I'm supposed to get at 33 weeks. It's the, it's, it's the initials. It's the one that everyone gets as a kid. It's like diphtheria. Yeah, that's, dip that's, that's pertussis. That's pertussis. Yeah. So that one hurts? No, that's not that I think bad. You just the next said day it. I think it you just said it does. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt when you get it. It's the next day you feel. No, but none of them are that bad, I mean. I guess. When I got the pertussis as a child, I actually had a whole reaction in my arm and like got a tiny, it like necrotized. So I'm worried about that potentially happening again, except that my sister had the same reaction as a child. And, and they said she wasn't allergic, which, oh, she did too. But yeah, not, it's you don't weird. have an egg allergy. Or- no. And then she, you know, when she was pregnant, she got it and didn't have that reaction. So I don't know if it was just something in the the medicine that was used back then. I don't know what it was. Anyway, not looking forward to it. Um, so going to a meeting, do I worry? What do you do? You worry when you go in a meeting and everyone's sick. Oh, my. only as a only as a pregnant person who has not gotten the flu vaccine. <laughs> but oh, normally yeah. no. Yeah. What about do you wear a mask? Do you ever wear a mask when you go in public? Out in public? For I never have, but my doctor did say if you're not going to get the vaccine, you might want to. do Oh that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that? I mean, are the particles really that big uh, that a mask? No, you got to get an N95. You get a, a mask that will. Yeah, but the thing is, if somebody coughs on you and you have that on. Um, you know, just you're from a physics standpoint. No, no, no. You're better. You're better off. Oh. I mean, you know. So there are situations. I'm sure it would decrease, but is it going to block a virus? That the pores don't, and those masks don't block viruses. So. Right. But you just look cool. <laughs> okay. The great one says, Jeff, you're going to have to tell me if we already did this one. When something really crazy happens on a television show, I check to see how much time is left in the episode. Have no, we done that? No, that doesn't ring a bell. Okay. At first, I thought, that's crazy. No. And then I realized, oh, no, I do do that. Because if something crazy happens on a show, I do check to see how much time is left because my thought is, oh, man, are they? is it going to be a cliffhanger? Are they going to leave us on a cliffhanger? So I do check. Something crazy happens. Yeah. I, I check when I'm really enjoying something. I check to see. I do that, too. Like, Dang, I don't want this to be over. Yeah. I have to go back I, to my horrible life. <laughs> I do that, too, even if it's not television i'll want to see what time it is but people always think that that means you're trying to get out of there i thought you meant if you're doing a show and you have a horrible guest oh if i'm boring you're sitting here right now going, <laughs> God, i wish the show were over this guy no no he means a show <laughs> he's watching okay um let's see dave ross when people post iphone screenshots online it stresses me out to see low battery life percentage remaining that one we've done i we have done that one yeah okay it, it doesn't stress me out. If it does, you need an SSRI. There's a lot an anxiety of anxiety disorder. A lot of people, it seems to stress out. <laughs> Talk to Dad says, in the morning, socks feel good. By the end of the day, they're unbearable. Can't wait to take them off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. That's how I feel about bras, but not so much socks. <laughs> well, my bras. <laughs> <laughs> really? You must have some kind of 36-hour number. Um. Adri214 says, never know what side of cling wrap is the clingy side. Always end up getting frustrated, balling it up, and using foil instead. I find cling wrap to be a very frustrating product. I didn't realize one side is clingy and one isn't, though. I didn't either. And now I'm thinking maybe that's my problem with lack of cling efficacy. Maybe, What's the clingy side? The inside side? It's the one that's not. It's the the other one, clearly. I really didn't know that either. What about I'm aluminum sure foil? There's a bright and the dull right. side. Right. Tell me the difference. I 
one, I know that you're supposed to use one for something, but I don't know what. I don't use foil very much or cling wrap, really. I use Ziploc bags. Yeah, I gave up on cling wrap. So now, yeah, I use a lot of Ziploc and I use a lot of Tupperware or recycled yeah. plastic containers from things. Right. My father's so old school. To save money, he buys the little plastic bags with the ties. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Drives me crazy. <laughs> Not even the ones where you fold it in. Those right. used to be hot. Those those were cutting edge for like those forty years ago. Fit have, right, fit snugly around your sandwich. <laughs> oh yeah, but the ones you where you put those right, the little ties. Oh my god, I'm sure those ties are eaten by some sort of animal, which probably decreased their population. Poor animal that eats twist ties. Poor, poor wombats. <laughs> uh, Harry Bowles says, the term wildly is used wildly more on podcasts than in the real world. Mm. Well. Nah, come on. Adam would say wildly all the time. Mm. Well, you know what Drew's favorite? One of his favorites is profound. Oh, really? And I've taken that. I love saying profound. That's a profound insult. <laughs> I just heard an episode of Sam Harris's podcast and it's like, he's a smart guy. And he said he was describing someone and said that they had literally gone through hell. That and I thought, really? Insane. Did they see Satan? Was he there with his pitchfork? Because they <laughs> literally went through hell. That, I, that can't, is, I can't. That's an, yeah. That's, that, is, he, that is the perfect example of figuratively right. going through hell. I was yeah. very disappointed. Yeah, it's weird. Literally, it's just used to emphasize. And, I heard somebody uh, saying irregardless. And normally, I would use, I used to use that, and it's like quit being so picky about. It. But it, now it irritates me when someone says "irregardless." And it was because a doctor you, is it because meeting. you stopped using it? Yes. <laughs> and lastly, Sam Vance says, "Just mirror everyone." I see too few posts from LA where the person has on shorts or short sleeves. Why make it hotter on yourself? This is when it was super hot. He wrote that. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm not a fan of short sleeves or shorts on me. Other people, it's fine. What about a, sh- a a guy with a short sleeve shirt and a tie on? There's something offensive about that to me. Like short sleeve shoes aside, I need to have a <laughs> pen protector or if I there's a short sleeve. It's, it's very Dilbert. Yeah. Yes, or a shirt tucked in. Yeah, and shoe and sort of loafers and a well, I don't know what kind of shoes, but t- tucked in shirt, short sleeve with a tie on. And buttoned when it's hot. Come on. You got the short sleeves because it's hot out, and now you've right. got your collar button. Oh, yeah. yeah, that looks silly. It makes me annoyed. Also, T-shirts and scarves. What's going on there? Uh, it's, it's a uh, whole look. T-shirts, <laughs> autoeroticism, they're covering their neck. Well, that I hadn't considered, but now that you bring it up, perhaps. Dr. Bruce... Thank you so much but, for coming on the show. So many people from the audience left when Drew left. I know. There's, there's only two people left. You know? <laughs> no, we have. We, there's no listen. You guys, you guys, studio audience, we need a rousing applause. <laughs> They're back. <laughs> they all came back. Oh, my God. They were outside smoking pot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> from an me. aluminum bong. Right. Tell everyone where they can go to find you and I don't know if you know Drew's plugs, but if so, do. Dr. And Drew. Weekly Infusion. Okay. And you can send stuff to me there. I have uh, some some Twitter thing, Dr. Bruce H., but I'm I'm really bad at I answer more of his Drew's things than I do my own. So drbrew.com, drdrew.com, Weekly Infusion is our podcast. We're we're really refining it and getting uh getting it down to a fine sharp edge or whatever you say. <laughs> Scalpel edge. <laughs> I'm getting spastic again. So anyway. Uh, weekly infusion it's free of course it's a weekly sh- medical show but we're trying to make it 
interesting to just anybody. And uh, drdrew.com is the best place to get all that stuff. And Weekly Infusion is also on iTunes, right? Yes, it is. Um, This podcast is on iTunes. Maybe that's where you're listening to it. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, subscribe. iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. And follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen and the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And if you love Larry Miller and the Larry Miller Show, check out the new Larry Miller store, LarryMillerShow.com slash store. Lots of funny t-shirts. Uh, again, thank you so much. Thank it you was for great having catching us. up. We and... were super excited about coming here. Oh, good. Yeah. Me too. Um, all right, you guys. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? time